I believe the number one reason entrepreneurial ventures fail is because the entrepreneurs or the team do not discriminate and delineate and define the boundary between the opportunity and the idea. And they don't really define either one of them completely and how they fit together because it just leads to so many different things in the entrepreneurial phenomenon. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and today we've got a spicy conversation to go with our jalapeno poppers that we're putting in the grill. Got some bacon-wrapped jalapeno poppers that uh, are stuffed with some cheddar cheese, and we've got a spicy conversation coming up with Patrick Murphy, who is uh, with the University of Alabama, Birmingham and Innovation Depot and is an all-around expert on entrepreneurship. Can't wait to talk to him about all the things that are going on in the world of entrepreneurship. So welcome, Patrick. Thank you, Jared. It's great to be here. And I might just drive down to Hoover to check out some of those things you're cooking there. I'm actually going to go throw these on the grill. And so I was actually talking to Patrick as we were getting started. And I said, you know, we could have actually done this in person if I had the technical setup for it, uh, which I don't, sadly. But uh, he could and probably be down here in about 20 minutes. Um, so you're with the, the University of Alabama, Birmingham. And I'm actually in uh, the greater Birmingham area. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you actually got to, to where you are at UAB? Well, I was a entrepreneurship professor at DePaul University in the city of Chicago for almost 16 years. And I um, made full professor in 2013. I was leading a lot of ecosystem programs up there, working out of 1871 and Catapult and Blue 1647 and the various WeWork uh, locations that we have. And working with a lot of entrepreneurs, mentoring at Techstar Chicago, and just you know doing everything I could in the ecosystem. But really, I'm a, I'm a scholar at heart, so I, I've, I've published a lot. I've published with Harvard Business Review and Yale University Press and a lot of academic journals, and that, that's sort of my jam, teaching entrepreneurs, but also doing research on the phenomenon of entrepreneurship and what it, what it can do for communities and cities and the ecosystem. And so before DePaul, I was a doctoral student at the University of Illinois. I, I did actually work in a um, uh, large company, Group Schneider. It used to be called Group Schneider. It's Schneider Electric now, but their North American headquarters used to be in Chicago, and I was there for almost two years. And um, I realized I was either going to have to be an entrepreneur or a scholar. And so I ended up at DePaul, spent a career there, and we thought we'd never leave city of Chicago, my wife and I, and then UAB, Back in 2017, 2018, they had raised some money to endow a new chair in entrepreneurship, and they did a national search with a search firm. They contacted me in Chicago at one point, and I was really curious about Birmingham and to get an endowed chair is like the pinnacle if you're if you're a professional academic, and so that was really attractive to me. And uh, my wife and I visited four times, met a lot of people, really loved it, and then I met with the president of the university and a lot of the other leaders here, and I said, you know, if I come down. It's going to be disruptive because it's going to be new. You know, the other programs are going to want, be wondering if we're going to steal their students and all that's just going to be very disruptive. And I need to know that you're OK with that. And Dr. Watts, who's a great university president, said, um, tear it up. That's what he told me in the interview. He said, tear it up. <laughs> that's awesome. And so then I knew that was the moment that I knew I could come down there and really build a world class entrepreneurship program. So that's what we've done. And I've I have racehorses and I've dabbled a little bit in the racing industry and I was the head of a large nonprofit organization in Chicago called the Chicago Cultural Alliance. We did a lot of social enterprise uh, ventures and made a lot of impact with that. So I, I've dabbled a bit, but really I'm a scholar at heart and I'm interested in training the next generation of entrepreneurs and serving the ones that already exist. That's so uh, 
I, it's so cool to see, uh, you know, entrepreneurship being set up at an institutional level like you guys are setting it up. Because I think, you know, when I got started kind of coming out of high school, I don't want to date myself, but I, I graduated high school in, in 2000. And so for the first five or six years, the concept of uh, entrepreneurship was very like, I mean, you had to, it was, it was almost always self-taught, right? You had to kind of go find books and you had to go find your own resources. And, you know, if you were lucky enough, you could go find some mentors or some peers and there's usually pretty difficult to do. Um, and so it's cool to see the idea of, you know, Hey, start and run your own business, you know, think about a project and create it and turn it into something that can actually create job growth and, you know, do a lot of good things for the community and for yourself. And to be seeing that taught at an industrial kind of institutional level like that is is exciting, because I don't think um, you know when I when I went into college that's that's really what I wanted to do. But when I looked at the curriculum that was available to me, none of it. I mean, I could pick up some of the skill sets and things, but there was nowhere that I could really go and say, yeah, this is for people that want to start their own business. I'd had to a la carte a bunch of things from the business school and other places to try to cobble all that together. So it's really cool to see you guys doing that at UAB. It's very avant-garde. I mean, people don't realize how rare it is. I mean, it is very much in demand. You're right. I talk to entrepreneurs all the time and they're like, man, I wish there was a program like that when I was in school. And it is a newer area, certainly in the domain of business studies. But um, this new generation and a lot of the business people out there now, they're very interested in learning about entrepreneurship. And the reason that universities take a while to meet that demand is because of how universities make decisions, which is through faculty governance. So we, we vote on everything, and it's usually secret ballot voting in committees, and there are levels of committees um, across mm. the, the echelons of the institution. And many times the folks from other areas are on those committees, and then they're not always inclined to vote to support a new area because they view it as possibly something that will take students away from their programs or something like that. But to UAB's credit, and I think it's because of its urban identity, um, it's pretty progressive and very open-minded about what this could mean for Birmingham and what it might be able to uh, do. And um, I mean, just to give you a sense of how rare it is, there's probably 59 or 60, I think about 60 colleges or universities in the state of Alabama. Um, we're the fourth to have a proper bachelor's degree in um, entrepreneurship. And wow. in the country, there's a, probably, I don't know, 5,200 or so colleges or universities. And I would personally estimate maybe 330 of them actually have a proper bachelor's degree in entrepreneurship. And that's about five or 6% in both of those samples. So it's very rare, but it is growing. And that's in part because of the demand of the young people coming up who don't really view their futures or their careers in the same way that earlier generations have done. So we have to teach them in a way that uh, fits with their expectations. We we don't do a lot of traditional exams, for example, and we do a lot of other really creative things too. But it's been a great ride so far here at UAB. And um, we were just named the top emerging university entrepreneurship program in the country this year, in January of this year. Wow. And um, that I attribute that to the community and the, the leadership that's allowed me to come down here and just build what needs to be built. And the students have really turned out. So yeah, it's been a great ride, man. And we're just getting started. Man, that's so cool. And I think it's, it's, it also is an interesting phenomenon when you think about, you know, the cliche is entrepreneurs go to college for a little while and then they drop out because they just don't see, ah, I don't see any value in this. Or this is a, I, it's, 
it's clear why they would feel that way when there's nothing really dialed into exactly what they're doing. Now, if, if you see people going to a university that has a program that's specifically designed to give them the skills to do what they're trying to do, to run a business, to start a business, to receive, you know, to obtain funding and all the things that you need to do to do that, that's really, um, it's a cool thing to see. You guys are also connected to Innovation Depot, which is uh, an award-winning business incubator here in Birmingham. And you have a role with uh, Innovation Depot, correct? I do. Yeah, I'm the scholar in residence and I'm over here every Friday for meetings and consulting and working with the entrepreneurs here. The scholar in residence. That's very, that's, I don't, that's a very, that's a great title, right? It's kind of like a flip on the, uh, you know, executive in residence in a business school. They brought an academic into a community of practice. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty cool. There, it makes it's Yeah, I get it. That's cool. Uh, so you, I, you've got a, you've got a great background having been in all types of around entrepreneurship for a long time and around all sorts of entrepreneurs. So something I'd, I'd love to ask you, Patrick, is what, when you think of the people that you have seen as entrepreneurs who are successful, is there a common trait that you find that when you see someone that's getting ready to start a project that you look for that trait or when you see it, you go, oh, this has a chance? I don't think of it in terms of a trait, but I think of it in terms of a um, kind of a, a competency, maybe part of a discipline that they've learned, a personal self-discipline that they've learned. So um, there's a few, there's a handful, like one of them is um, a problem orientation. So being intrigued by problems, the ability to go to sleep at night with big unanswered questions um, and being comfortable with big unanswered questions and being uncomfortable with big unquestioned answers. <laughs> um, that there's a discipline there where one can that one can cultivate and work with. And then if you, if you, if you do that, it, it kind of stokes your curiosity and curiosity is really an entrepreneurial superpower. So curious individuals, uh, folks who are curious about the world perceive problems and they wonder like, what if, what if, or what if there were a way to work on this problem? And, and the problem calls for a solution, just like a question calls for an answer and curious people ask a lot of questions. So this is one thing that I, that I look for. Um, when I'm talking with somebody and, and typically they don't, if they don't have a project that they're really interested in, or if they haven't like gone down an entrepreneurial path, they don't really have it, but they have the potential inside of them. And that, that has a lot to do with how we teach. Like once you get somebody really in touch with their own personal values, it gives them a view of the world where they look for opportunities to put those values into practice. And that kind of leads them to opportunities to, um, work on things in accordance with their values. And it, it's very close to um, moving them toward a problem-solving orientation like I'm talking about. And another one, it's related to curiosity. Another one is when, you know, you talk with an entrepreneur and they're trying to start up a project or something like that. They, they're, they're always curious. They, they'll say things to you like, well, how can I make it better? Or what do you think about it? Uh, and they really seek out critically constructive feedback. And if they're not entrepreneurial, they tend to avoid that kind of feedback. So, so curiosity about even the possibly bad news or the willingness to face the music and learn more about what they're doing and how to make it better. I, I look for that sort of a mindset. Um, there's a couple of other things too, like not really caring what other people think is a, is a big one. Um, another thing is, you know, we, we have all these little syllogisms that we use to instill the mindset in our learners. And, and another one is, um, you know, treat, treat big things like they're little things so you stay bold and treat little things like they're big things so you remain careful. So when you're working on something big, like a big pitch or a big presentation, 
in your mind, turn it into something that's small, like you're just talking with one person. And if you're working on a tiny thing, like like how your logo is aligned or something like that, actually treat it like it's a big deal because it, it, it kind of makes you bold and careful at the same time. So we really dig deep into these kind of mindset things. And mm. these are the kinds of thinking styles that I tend to see in entrepreneurs. And then the last one is just the ability to think in terms of growth. Human beings are terrible at understanding growth. We're just very bad at thinking about exponential growth, especially. And when somebody is able to think about what do I need to do the, to this thing to grow it or rather than manage it, but actually let it grow and become something larger than myself. There's a certain kind of mindset there that we that we instill and that we look for. But great entrepreneurs tend to understand these kinds of things. It's so interesting for you to characterize it that way, because I think that's really a true a true statement. I mean. Entrepreneurship at its core is solving problems, right? Is just if you can become a really, really good problem solver and comfortable solving problems, um, that makes you really valuable to your. To, so if you're wanting to work around, like in entrepreneurship and not necessarily be the one that started it, you know, going and finding problem solvers is one of the quickest ways to sort of make your organization rocket forward because no matter where you're at or what stage you're at, I mean, we're, you know, what, 14, 15 years into the Proctor U story. And we're still like, you know, having meetings, trying to solve problems, problems that it's just all, there's always a challenge ahead of you and having someone who is comfortable digging through that, looking for the right answer and also has the humility to be willing to find the right answer, but not necessarily be the one that came up with the right answer. Uh, that's just a critical skill that you have to have, right? Absolutely. And it's also critical to find the right team, right? Mm -hmm. And and so do you guys uh talk much about how you how you teach someone to assemble the right team around them? We do. We we spend a great deal of time talking about that because you know I, I'm I'm sure you've heard the um the adage, uh, I'll take an A-level team with a B-level idea before I'll take a B-level team with an A-level idea any, any I day. That. I mean, the team team can make a huge difference. And so we we talk about a couple of different things there. The, the first one is we, we draw a big line between people and ideas. Um, we don't conflate them. So uh, a, a good person can have a bad idea. A, a bad person can have a good idea, if you kind of use that logic to think about it. And therefore, when you're having these conversations and delivering and receiving critical feedback, Everybody on both sides of the communication needs to understand that it, it, it's about the idea. It's not about you. So don't take it personally, even if the and, and it's tricky for an entrepreneur, because many times the idea that you come up with is personal to you because it's related to your sure. values or a problem that you care about. But again, it's the discipline that we're talking about here with being able to develop that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. And then when you extend that to a group of people like the ones on a team, it just makes it a lot easier to brainstorm. And, and you know, that, that word in their storm, it's there for a reason. It's because it could be, should be like, you know, flashing lightning and uh, loud thunder bolts and that sort of thing. It, it, it's a lot of disagreement and all that, but sometimes you have to do that to get down to the truth of what you're actually trying to figure out. And, and so we spend a lot of time talking about that. And there's a lot of different uh, concepts and frameworks that we work with. Another one that we do when we talk about building a team is that um, we talk a lot in terms of the, uh, we call it the artist and the business person. Mm. So uh, great teams, I believe, need to have a creative function and a business oriented function for exactly the same reason that a great uh, rock band has a manager or an artist has a manager, an actor has a manager. You know, the, the, the creatives need to have their head down and think about like creating and producing and 90% of the stuff they come up with isn't going to be that good, but it's that vital interaction with their manager who can tell them, you know, the, 
the, the fans aren't going to buy it or the market's not going to buy it or you got to tweak it a little bit this way because that's the individual that's not looking head down. They're looking head up and out and looking at the world around the artists and thinking about what the mass market at a large level might want to um, want to hear from them. And, and they're also the ones doing deals, you know, with, you know, setting up gigs and doing the research. So that business person work has a lot to do with the head and the brain and thinking and processing information. And then the artist, the creative is much more from the heart or from the, um, the instincts. So I think if a startup entrepreneur, you know, usually it started out as one person and they have an idea that they want to grow. Uh, they can be the artist and the business person in the beginning for a while. But it, I, I believe if one tries to be both, um, eventually you're going to stifle the growth of the project and stifle the growth of the business. So there's a team building ramification here for when, you know, when you think about who you're going to add to the team, if you're more comfortable and you have the kind of energy that would make for being a really good business person, you know, look for that creative. Usually, though, the founder is more the creative one. So um, typically you're looking for somebody that can help you structure deals and do things like that. So you can, you know, relax the executive function of your brain and just focus on why the problem that you started with in the beginning, because usually that problem has a lot to do with your own personal values. And those are way down deep in who you are and what motivates you. Yeah. Do you guys teach anything on selling? Because I think that's a part that's usually missing from a lot of people's skill sets, or at least from their teams, right? Do you, you guys talk about that? Yeah, we absolutely do. And we, we tend to, you know, universities are unique because I, I always tell people here that a, a workshop or a training program or YouTube video, you just can't teach things the way a university can do it. So we tend to take a really deep approach to these kinds of things, like with the team stuff I was talking about. And when it comes to selling, we really double down on authenticity. Um, because we're talking about entrepreneurship starting with problems, we, we need to all this stuff is connected. So when an entrepreneur sees a problem, it, it tells that entrepreneur or whomever a lot about themselves because a problem is perceived as a problem because it clashes with your values. If it doesn't clash with your values, it's essentially invisible to you because you believe it's normal. It's only when something happens that clashes with your values or if you're a group of people in a community or a culture with your shared values. And that has a lot to do with your ability. I think it has everything to do with your ability to see the problem. So when it comes time to sell, um, a lot of the conversation revolves around the values that enabled you to see the problem. And if the people you're talking to share even part of those values, you have a deeper conversation. You can have a deeper conversation with them that goes beyond simply persuading them or, or educating them. It's more about, um, hey, you probably care about this problem. Let me, let me show you this really cool approach that we're taking in our firm to deal with it. And we have a product, if you care about this problem that you may wish to purchase or you can become our partner or whatever it is, and then you can you know, join the movement to do something about the problem. So we take it down to that level of where you're speaking out of the truth of your values. And, um, it, you know, it's easy to do, right? It's like things that are important to you, like your your family members or your children or your pets. I mean, it, you don't have to prepare to tell anybody all about them in a way that's interesting because it's interesting to you. So we start with that. But then, of course, we have like other courses where we get into like the the eye movement and the body language and the pitch mm -hmm. and you know all all of that's there but in the entrepreneurship program proper we really try to relate the actual sales pitch if you will to the underlying problem using the language of the values that uh, help define the problem yeah i'm going to check on the the poppers while we're talking about i think 
I think you you said it a really interesting way earlier by, by characterizing it as, you know, one part artist, you know, and then you've got, oh, baby, look at that. We've got some that are artists. We've got some that are business people. I think I see a lot of uh, organizations that um, I'm actually going to turn this down. This is getting a little bit, a little bit too much. Okay, so I, I see a lot of organizations that really struggle with. Um, they have a lot of smart people, and they know their product really well, and they don't know how to sell, or even even to, to say it a different way, sell. You know, people go, "Oh, sales," but it's it's really to even articulate a problem or, or articulate how you can solve a problem for somebody. And I can't tell you how many times I will be with someone. And they're, you know, they're in a selling situation and they think a sales opportunity means that I'm supposed to sit down and show you everything this product can do for you. Mm -hmm. So if it's a software product, like, let me show you what every button does. Let me see this drop down menu. There's nine. Let me show you all nine. No, like you have to, (laughs) if you don't understand I talk about this all the time. If you don't understand the customer, you don't, or, or don't understand the problem, or the like, the human nature thing that's that's got them talking to you in the first place. You know, people pay to solve problems. They don't pay for widgets, and they don't pay for you know doohickeys that your product has and little things that it can do. They pay to solve problems, right? That's what really motivates people, and that's when you kind of feel like you're rolling downhill is when you're driving towards a problem that they want to solve, and so. Getting people to understand that, you know, they've worked so hard on this product and man, I, you know, we spent, we spent six months making this one thing do this. Yeah, but I don't, the average customer doesn't care what it does. They, they really care about why, right? Why does it do it? Well, this is, this is what it solves and this is, it makes your life easier in this way or it saves you money in this way or whatever it is. And if I'd say that to entrepreneurs all the time, if you don't know the why, why someone uses your product, man, you're really going to be pushing a bag of sand uphill, right? To try to get people to buy it. That's exactly right. And, and you know, that's why, you know, experts, and I think of artists as experts because they many times live with the work for long, long, long periods of time and they know it so well. Um, it, it's a, almost a conundrum that if you're an expert in something, you can't teach it to other people very easily if you're that good at it. Um, an artist has a really hard time explaining to other people how they paint or how they play guitar or piano if they're truly a world-class expert at that activity. And I think this applies to entrepreneurs. So if you can get somebody to join your team who isn't in the weeds, who isn't um, so caught up in all the details of um, building this actual thing, that is the individual who knows how to separate signal from noise. And so when they talk to a naive customer who's never heard of your product before, that's the individual who can really um, just tell them what they know that customer needs to hear. Um, oftentimes, the, the person who launches, who comes up with the original product idea is not the best one to pitch it for this reason. It, it's often like the number two employee or somebody who joins a little bit later who's who doesn't know the core technology or the operations as well as the original founder but they they know what to ignore and what to focus on and therefore they can make a much shorter pitch that goes right to the heart of the matter and plucks the feather and connects with uh, customers better if you're talking to somebody and i'm sure this happens a lot for you where someone comes up and they say you know patrick i've got this idea and i think it could be a business but i don't know what i'm doing or maybe they're young and they've they've you know where is the first place that you steer someone like that? Do you say, yeah, you need to plug into a program like UAB 
or, or maybe they're already in the program, but when someone comes in there at literally step one and they're thinking, I got this idea and I just, I, I think it could be something, but I don't really know what to do. Where's the first place you would sort of steer someone like that? We have a long conversation typically about the problem that that idea is ultimately connected to. Like it, it's always starting with problems. We talk a lot about the problem that's being solved by this particular idea. After that conversation, there's another conversation that we have. Um, and when you talk about an idea, an idea doesn't really, it, it can't do anything unless there's an opportunity that it fits with. And, and this is a very important part of the way that we teach entrepreneurship here in, in our program. We, um, you know, ideas and opportunities fit together exactly in the same way that a, that a product fits a market. Or a, or, or a hammer hits a nail, or even the artist and the business person go together on the team. An idea comes from within you, and it's utterly subjective, meaning that if you don't tell anybody else about it, um, it, it nobody knows about it, and it's as good as it not existing. An opportunity, uh, by, by contrast, is opposite in almost every way. It doesn't exist within you, it, it, it exists outside of you. And it is something that is out there connected to a problem that many other people can see, and it's objective, therefore, and they can see it in the same way that you see it. But you may have your one unique idea that fits with that opportunity. And, you know, there's a whole long conversation about this. But as I said, it relates directly to product market fit. It has team building implications. And it even relates to operational um, outcomes and activities such as revenues and expenses. Because if you have a poorly defined opportunity, again, that has to do with everything going on outside and around the venture. If it's poorly researched and it's not really defined very well, um, later on that can lead to lower revenues and ideas which come from inside, if this is poorly formulated or poorly developed or not, or if it's half-baked or something like that, that can actually lead to inflated costs if you go ahead and launch anyway and build a business around a poorly defined opportunity or a poorly formulated idea. And at that point, if you're operating, you know, five, three, four, five, six, seven years down the road, it may look like you have money problems, but that's actually an outcome of something deeper. And you can't even, it's a very thorny, naughty problem at that point because you can't prove whether it's because revenues are too low or costs are too high. It's kind of like if you go to buy a car and you can't afford it, why is that? Is it because you don't have enough money or is it because the car is too expensive? You can kind of argue it both ways and you, you can never prove it because you can't prove revenues have been maximized. You can't prove costs have been minimized. But early on, if you really sort out the opportunity and the idea and you delineate them as separate from one another in a very opposite kind of way, but most importantly, you talk about how they fit together, you can... Um, avoid a lot of those problems later. I believe the number one reason entrepreneurial ventures fail is because the entrepreneurs or the team do not discriminate and delineate and define the boundary between the opportunity and the idea. And they don't really define either one of them completely and how they fit together because it just leads to so many different things in the entrepreneurial phenomenon. Yeah, I, I think that's that's certainly like one, you know, critical death spiral you see people get into is when they've, they have a solution and they go searching for a problem, right? Um, or, or they, uh, you know, or they, they come out with an outcome and they haven't really figured out how to get there. And that's okay to some degree. But if you look at like some of the horror stories of like the worst entrepreneurial stories of the last like 10 years or so, like, the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos story. If you dive into that, it really was, you know, here's a, here's a smart young lady who has this idea, you know, to, to test all these things from a drop of blood. 
but didn't really know how to do it yet and built this whole company around not knowing how to do it. And so, you know, just because you have an idea, you have to be somewhat positioned to execute on it, right? And, uh, you know, Patrick and I can decide that we're going to cure colon cancer, right? That's a, what a great idea that is, right? But are we positioned to, like so lots of other people are trying to do that too, but are we positioned to actually actually execute on it? I'd probably, for me, I'd probably say, no, I'm standing here at a grill and not in a lab somewhere. Um, and I've, I've used this with, with younger entrepreneurs all the time as this example. I Before I started ProctorU, um, a couple of guys, some of the same people that started ProctorU, we started a real estate website called Realtor Clicks. And at the time, uh, there wasn't anything, you know, the, the multiple listing system was like a walled garden. And so the idea of putting real estate listings online was like this really novel idea. And uh, we just weren't connected at all to try to execute on that. We didn't, you know, we were just sort of spitball and and right behind us comes Zillow, right? And they just clean our clocks, right? And so that was a great idea to put real estate listings listings online. We just weren't positioned to execute on it. Mm-hmm. Conversely, you look back in the 70s and you saw the guy that started the Pet Rock that sold, you know, a couple million dollars worth of these Pet Rock. That's a dumb idea, but it was brilliantly executed, right? And the guy was actually able to execute on it. And so it really comes down to are you able to take a great idea ideas frankly ideas are a dime a dozen right i mean we can all have good ideas about things that would be great but can you actually find one with you said a phrase that i think we need to explain because a lot of people don't know what it means product market fit right that you can actually sell so when you say product market fit for those that have never heard that phrase before what does that mean it's everything about the interaction of what you create and what is out there in the world, including the customers who may want to purchase what you create. So it's kind of like, um, I don't know, to make it, to really, really make it simple and very literal and explicit. Um, think of the, the product as a hammer and think of the, uh, the market as uh, protruding nails in a wall. Some of them are protruding, some of them are not protruding. But you got good product market fit there because that hammer is designed to hit those nails into the wall. Now, if you didn't have a hammer, but you had maybe a block of cheese or uh, some other kind of blunt object, that would be your product. The hammer wouldn't be. It would be the, the block of cheese. It's not going to fit the nature of the opportunity that's out there, and it's not going to work very well. And therefore, it's not going to solve the underlying problem, which means people aren't going to buy it. We're talking about having the right product designed properly in a way that it fits with the opportunity that is out there in the world that people care about because it's related to an underlying problem. So all the creativity exists on the product side of that, which is I think of as the idea side of that. I was talking about the idea opportunity delineation earlier. There is no creativity on the opportunity side or the market side. And when entrepreneurs start like letting creativity bleed into the external objective side of things, that's when they start to develop products that don't work and you get things like the um, Elizabeth Holmes thing. I mean, that that is an extreme case of the tail wagging the dog. And it's simply, you know, you're foregoing the production of an actual product that fits with the opportunity and the problem because you're chasing something outside of you and um, conflating the two. There's a lot of examples of these like bad boys and girls of entrepreneurship. You know, I, I think you can't overstate what kind of damage that does to the overall 
kind of cultural idea of entrepreneurship when you have an Elizabeth Holmes or like in the media right now is the whole FTX debacle, which is just every day it becomes a bigger debacle, right? Uh, For those who don't know, FTX was a crypto exchange that has just imploded because it was genuinely a house of cards, you know, that was just built on bad liquidity and really not sound business practices. And the more and more stuff that comes out, people were approving expenses using emojis and things like in chat. It's just a nightmare. And we can chuckle about all that stuff, but what that does is that sort of um, vilifies the concept of entrepreneurship. And that hurts my heart because Mm. I, I just believe that the future is paved by people that are willing to take risks and come up with new ideas. And that's how problems get solved. And that's how society moves forward. And that's how our lives get easier and better. And that's how life expand, life expectancies expand and quality of life expands is through people who are incentivized to solve problems. And so I hate to see that. I hate to see, you know, uh, the, what's the guy from not, well, Uber, certainly Travis Kalanick, but, uh, I don't know the guy. I forget his name. The guy, the crate. There's been all sorts of Hulu shows on him now. The guy that did the New York, uh, he was air, not Airbnb. Bernie Madoff. Nah, well, Bernie Madoff too. Sure. Well, anyway, I'll think of the guy. Adam Newman. That's his name. Oh um, yeah. From we work, you know, right? we work. Yeah, for like Adam Newman is a great example of another guy that just becomes. Oh yeah, it's just another one of these entrepreneurs. I think a lot of that comes from. It's almost like the kiss of death when you see people that are worshiping the person and the entrepreneur more than they are sort of like celebrating the idea or the, the thing or the solution. But there's like, I, they idolize that person. No, you're exactly right. It's very tragic. And it's like, all we can do sometimes is kind of, you know, I, I, one would chuckle in self-defense almost because you don't have to like think about how bad that is for just the way people think about entrepreneurs. I spend a lot of time thinking about this kind of topic. And um, I think that's what happens when the ability to criticize like openly, you know, you think about when these ventures before, you know, all the news came out and they broke bad and everything like that, the way people would talk about them, like, like uh, Elizabeth Holmes on stage with world leaders and being praised yeah. and the, there w- wasn't any hint of a critical tone or spirit at all there and you know with all of them really quite frankly and so it, it goes back to like when you're talking about like when i when when i encounter entrepreneurs and i i probably get 10 cold calls a week at least and i i, I get a lot of content and i i talk to these folks but an early question and there's a lot of different ways to ask it is who are your enemies or who doesn't like you or what what where where do the where does the, where does the critical messaging come from against your business and if the answer to that is i have none or there is none to me that's a problem because anything new that's breaking new ground is going to be disruptive and there are going to be certain quarters that are going to push back against it and not even ideologically but structurally by the nature of the status quo that exists sure this happens and and whenever i see something trendy like that and you got a bunch of people following it man that that frightens me because i know where the wide road leads i mean if if everybody's doing it in the early stages i'm not interested i mean no as you ramp up and do things and more and more people get involved and all that that's fine but um uh, trends and 
universal appeal and praise and the culture of celebrity and hero worship, which by the way, entrepreneurial ecosystems are particularly prone to, and it's dangerous for the same reasons. Um, yeah. All of that, that's big red flags right there. We could go on all day, by the way. This is a great conversation. I, I, I want to end on a question uh, that's a little broader and it hits on kind of what we were just saying, but why do you think entrepreneurship is important to the world? Why, why is it important that this not only continues, but it thrives and grows? It's very important to the world. It's very important to our country. It's very important to communities all across our country because it leads to the generation of wealth, number one. Not the redistribution of wealth. It is the generation of new wealth because when you... In, when you discover new opportunities to work on problems and come up with new ideas for doing so, you're doing something ideally that uh, either nobody or very few people or relatively few people have done before. And that novelty is important to the generation of new wealth. That's vital because it leads to the breaking through of boundaries. Um, whether you're a first generation college student or a first time entrepreneur or whatever it is, you have the opportunity to become more than you know what 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 your previous your parents or your grandparents generation achieved because of that entrepreneurial impulse so it's very important to the uh, development of civilized society it's very important to the health of the um, the economic system it's also very important to the um, to the culture because you know, I've, I've done this around the world, in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia and China in particular, and then also here. Uh, you know, they talk about politics being downstream from culture. Entrepreneurship is very much downstream from culture, too. The way that we undertake entrepreneurship here in our country is oftentimes a celebration of culture. You'll see it all the time. You'll talk about the revolutionary spirit of what one is doing, or you'll talk about the, um, the American dream, and you'll use these phrases and terms that are unique to our culture. So it reinforces and it celebrates culture many times implicitly, but culture is also very important to the, the health of a society. So it, it's just a great action for individual empowerment and societal improvement. And I believe the best way, personally, what I believe the best way, um, the best thing we can do to support it is to train the entrepreneurs of tomorrow. They'll be doing things that haven't been invented yet and having jobs that haven't been created yet. And when you work on them right now, 10, 15, 20 years from now, they're gonna be doing all of that entrepreneurial stuff. So that, that's what we're doing here in my program and trying to make this kind of impact. But I, you're, you're exactly right. To say something like, what does it mean for the world? That's a big, bold question. A lot of people might think it's a little bit naive to say something like that, but I, I would disagree. I, I think it's perfectly appropriate and um, that's part of what makes this work so fun. Yeah, I don't. I mean, not to be uh, overly patriotic, but I mean, I you know, I've I've been blessed to to travel to some other countries, and certainly when you're in Europe, even some of the most beautiful places in the world, in Italy and other places, I mean, they don't you don't see those societies rocket forward as fast as American societies do, and you see a lot of the the things that are changing those and making those you know the average shopkeeper better, and so they're all American innovations, right? And it's just very much. What we do here in the U.S. drives the growth of the world. And so I, I do think it's critically important to, you know, push past some of the cultural things of like, oh, it's, you know, every entrepreneur is just out for greedy, you know, greedy intentions and things like that to sort of push back that and realize that, you know, the world gets better when people are incentivized to solve problems. 
And when they're rewarded for that and the people around them are rewarded for that, the world can get better. And yes, things need to be kept in check. And yes, there are bad examples. There's Elizabeth Holmes. There's Sam Banks Friedman or whatever the heck his name is, the guy, the bad boy from FTX. Yeah, there's going to be outliers. And yes, we should try to find those people before that happens. But overall, thank God we have people that uh, are are trying to solve problems and make the world a better place. And, and thank God for people like you too, Patrick, that are trying to train and arm the next wave of entrepreneurs. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I, I think we're all going to be pleasantly surprised by the Generation Z young people who are coming up right now. I, I taught millennials for a long time and, and they were great. But um, this next generation, I would say, are um, significantly more entrepreneurial than the previous one. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, certainly millennials were more entrepreneurial than the previous. But I think Gen Z, uh, by just by a product of their upbringing, you know, th these people have grown up during the Great Recession and during all these other things where just the things that I guess previous generations grew up sort of thinking that jobs were just these things that you went and got and they were so secure and you would never you would if you got a job, you'll never like I don't think Gen Z didn't grow up seeing a lot of those things as, as like believed truths. Right. And so you have a lot of people that are motivated to do that stuff. And I, I'm, I agree. I'm, I'm pretty hopeful in the future when it comes to entrepreneurship. Patrick, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? I'm pretty easy to find, um, whether it's on LinkedIn or if you just search for Patrick Murphy UAB or UAB entrepreneurship or University of Alabama at Birmingham entrepreneurship or just my name in any of those terms, I'm pretty easy to find. There's a, there's a website, there's a LinkedIn, there's a Twitter, there's a university faculty webpage and so forth, but um, very easy to find. In fact, my mobile number is right on the, uh, our program's website at UAB. And I, I do that on purpose because I, I believe entrepreneurs always need to answer the phone and I, I usually always pick it up. And if it's a crazy number or something like that, I'll block it. But if it's a real <laughs> legitimate person, I mean, who, who knows who it could be? Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm thrilled to do this work here in Birmingham, too. You know, like I mentioned, I moved here from the city of Chicago and I had never heard of UAB before or been to Birmingham, but it has been an amazing ride. And I think it has a lot to do with this community. And we have raised um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but we have raised seven million dollars in the four years I've been here, wow. including our most recent gift of five million which named our program the J. Frank Barefield Jr. Entrepreneurship Program. And that was part of a gift made by him to UAB that was the largest gift by a UAB alum ever. Wow. And wow, uh, wow, it wow. came to the entrepreneurship program. And it is, it, it's just put us in a new league. So we're going to make the most out of it, really reinvest it in our programs and in, our, in the students that show up to take our entrepreneurship program and go through it. And I, I think it's going to be a great ride for the next few decades for sure. How cool. Well, uh, Patrick is a man of the people. You can find his cell phone number. Very nice to meet you and, and have you on here, Patrick. Thank you so much for being here. And I'll see if I can get one of these poppers down to you up in, uh, in downtown. Oh, my God. They look, they look amazing. And thank you so much, Jared. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Make sure that you go find us on social media. We're on TikTok. It's growing. That's actually our biggest platform so far. So no dances from me. Sorry to disappoint, but we do have business tips on TikTok. You can also find us on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you like this uh, show, please make sure you give us a nice rating and uh, make sure you hit like and follow. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.